0: Welcome to the uh, KSHSAA-Covered Podcast. I am Brent Maycock, and here with co-hosts Scott Pass, Mac Moore, and Ricky Peterson. And this is the first of uh, a new show that we're planning on doing on a biweekly basis where we break down high school athletics and activities from across the state of Kansas. And uh, this is our maiden voyage, and we're here to fill you with some knowledge that we have from uh, from the season so far. And what a busy season it's been. and. Uh, Right away, um, let's get to something very topical, very timely. And that was yesterday's uh, Kansas State Board of Education meeting in which the board narrowly passed by a six to four vote to send the private school multiplier uh, option on to the Kansas State legislature. Um, Essentially, what it's doing is trying to uh, change the Kansas statute as to how classifications are determined in the state of Kansas and instead of having it be strictly by enrollment, um, it's going to add three little words, which are three very big words. So um, the other means would leave it open to how, uh, how classification could be handled, therefore opening the door for potential multiplier uh, to be installed. Guys, uh, you know, I think this was a situation where we weren't sure how yesterday's vote would go i was there at the meeting in person and up until the vote i had no idea how um all the board members seemed to be very torn on this issue which is natural because this issue is a one that is very torn and controversial uh across the state some of your guys have thought yeah no
1: i was i was really surprised not had no, had no idea like you which way the, the vote was going to go having watched the meeting online and, and uh, you, you could just kind of see the wheel spinning with those with the, with the board They were talking through things and, and uh, you know trying to, to rationalize you know what, what their decision would be and I think it's uh, you know you heard some good points and, and you heard from, from different board members I, I remember Ben Jones uh, talking about how he was a hard no on this topic until he heard Bill Faflick's presentation. Uh, a month ago uh, about and then realized where the competitive equity or inequities are uh, in some of this and uh, so I I think you know it was kind of all those board members were working through and I I think it ultimately did come down to those 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 three little words and that's um, you know this issue is something that really has to be analyzed from a a ground level which is is the school uh, that you're involved with Uh, Maybe the roof level, which is is the league that you're involved with and the teams that you play. And then the the 30,000 foot view, which is, uh, you know, without this without this legislation, without Keisha having the ability to um, to adjust classifications, which Kansas law prohibits that right now. It's it's solely based on on uh, uh, enrollment figures, Um, you know, and that that is the kind of the whole thing. Like you said, Brent, that 30,000 foot view is. Um, you know, if 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 there is going to be change, it has to come from the state legislature. Um, you know, when they meet, when they're in their session um, early next year, and, and so I think I think the board realized the the effort that Keisha's put into this proposal, and uh, at the end at the, at the very end, they decided Keisha's put some deep thought into this. Let's let's pass it on to the legislature, and then you know that's a different set of you know a different set of politicians that'll be looking at
2: this now, but. Uh,
1: um at least that step is made now and it kind of opens the yeah I, up.
2: I agree with scott that was yeah i was just gonna say i agree with scott that i mean that was the big first step and i think that was kind of lost on somebody you know you, to do anything you got to get past that hurdle of of changing the statute to, to use uh means other you know enrollment and other means and i think that obviously that was a huge first step but i you know, I have no idea what the legislature this legislature does, but hopefully, they put a lot of thought into it, like the board of education seemed to do, and we'll just have to see what happens next.
3: Yeah, I think this is something that you know we've seen talked about for a very long time. I think when you look at the numbers for private schools winning championships, it it's something that is so stark it it becomes very clear that there needs to be a step to even out the playing field a bit and even comparing the numbers to say across the state line in Missouri uh you know they're winning the same number of uh state championships as those private schools but less of them in Kansas doing so so it's an even bigger impact on that overall total and you know there's no one perfect way to do it, but seeing the the previous steps, the previous ways they tried to put in a, a rule change, uh, finding things that were the three core aspects, the championship su- success, the economic side, and then the geography, it made it very simple and very easy to kind of pinpoint the ones we kind of, uh, the eye test tells us, the the capons, the Bishop Meages, the St. Thomas Aquinas, where those state championships were really a, a big reason that you would see those uh, stark numbers. And this is definitely something that can can help move that forward pretty quickly. Hopefully, uh, when sent to the Kansas legislature, uh, they keep it looking the way that it does and don't get too squirrely uh, if they start trying to make little changes to it. Because simple as this one is, it solves the problem pretty well, I think. I agree,
0: and it, and it also leaves it open for interpretation in the future. You know, if we if if it ends up passing and we go to this multiplier, um, you know, it's something that you can test out for a couple years. And if it's not really solving the issue or working in the manner that uh, that they want it to work, or if you feel like it's feeding schools that that uh, are suddenly getting hit by the multiplier that maybe don't really deserve it because maybe they only have one program that's really excelling. For instance, uh, say you're a Sacred Heart and you have a boys' golf team that is doing incredible things, but the rest of your athletic program aren't contending at that high level and winning state championships. You know, Maybe uh, maybe you go back and look and do we make it a sport-specific multiplier for these schools, or do you, uh, or do you take it to where – you know, one of the questions one of the uh, board members yesterday said, well, what if these schools just volunteered to go up a class rather than being forced to, you know, force force this blanket approach on all the schools? What if, you know, like a Bishop Gaze or a St. Thomas Aquinas or a St. James or a Carol says, well, we'll just go up to a 6A or to a, up to a 5A and compete at that level, which that's not an option now. But if you add that and other means wording to the state statute, then other means could be hey, if a school volunteers to play up a class, then then they have the option of doing so. I know uh, several years ago when Hutchinson was dominant football, uh, you know, they were winning championships in 6A, and all of a sudden they got sent down to class 5A, and Randy Dryland was like, I don't want to play in 5A, I want to contend for the title in 6A, can we just do that? And the answer was, no, legally, we can't allow you to do that, but Everybody in 5A, you're like, yes, allow them to do that. <laughs> you know, we, we, we'd love to see Hutchinson stay in class 6A and not be in 5A. So the, the one thing it does is, it, is, is if the legislature will go ahead and follow, follow up with steps that have, have been passed so far, is it just gives options where right now there's no other option. This is the only way we can do it, and this is what we're bound to do. And if we can get to other options, then we start taking a base and work from there to tweak towards the best, uh, best formula that we can stand that, that makes it fair and equitable for everybody. Because, you know, one of the big arguments that private schools are making is, well, what about public schools that are winning at a high level across the board? Like schools like Andale, or Australia, you know, was winning championships across the board. A Silver Lake, uh, you know, program, Mill Valley Football right now, you know, programs that are also dominant in their sports. Uh, Central Plains, you know, girls basketball would be an example you know what about these other programs that are dominating nobody's complaining that they're in their classification where you know the argument's a little different because those schools technically are bound by their geographical limits now once we have this new open borders uh open enrollment uh coming through who knows what this free-for-all landscape is going to look like and that's going to be another thing to take into consideration where you know hey if i'm in i'm in lawrence and i want to Play in pico or I'm in Lawrence, and I want to go play for a school in Kansas City, or or I want to go do debate or cheer or, or whatever activity or athletic, athletic endeavor it is. You know this this new landscape could uh should really cue things as well. So um, it's just you know it's a my Twitter Twitter line feed was blowing up all day yesterday of people on both sides of the both sides of the issue. Uh, coming out and, and guns blaring and, and, uh, you know, fully, fully convinced that their, uh, their reasoning was the best reasoning. But, but, uh, you know, and that's how it's going to be. It's, it's, it's a issue that has been prevalent forever in Kansas, forever. I, as, as long as I've been in Kansas, uh, a private school issue at, uh, versus public school issue has been something that has been talked about. What do we do about it? How do we, how do we make things more fair and equitable for, uh, for everybody? So um, it'll be interesting to see where it goes from here. But uh, you know, getting past that next that step yesterday uh, was just a, a big step. And, and my my takeaway from the board yesterday was that kind of what Scott said that, that they kind of recognize that yeah we may not agree with the whole uh, the whole issue at stake here, but we agree that they should has done their due process to. And this is the wishes of their member schools. What ultimately is who the state board of education serves as well. Um, you know, if this is what our schools in our state are requesting, then we should go ahead and honor their request and honor their wishes and send it forward and then kind of let things fall where they where they. Yeah,
1: no, it's a very, it's just a fascinating process to 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 you know, this end game is is a long it's a long journey to get to this end game and and I think you know what 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 is it and it's like any case issue I think it, it's it's what's important or what's prevalent maybe in a in a Kansas City suburb is going to be different than than something out in southwest Kansas or that it, it, you know that it, it, you know in southeast Kansas, it is just in different regions so it's a uh, I think these answers are on any issues are difficult to come by I think uh, you know has worked in the past with like football and seating and 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 things like that, and those are things they have the authority to do right now. This this classification, as, as it kind of goes back to, is is the whole point. Uh, with without that legislative authority to to have flexibility in making classifications, um, you know this issue goes nowhere. So I that that that's why yesterday was probably a pretty important step. Yeah, for, I definitely for found the.
3: You know, the argument coming from the, uh, a lot of the, the private schools where they said, well, why isn't this being applied to public schools? I, I found that very interesting, but also once you stop and kind of look at it, I think when I went through the numbers of the uh, last year of championship data, I think I needed seven of the winningest state championship public schools to match just the three and Miage, and Aquinas. So even when you're just cherry picking to try to say, well, what about these guys? It, it's it's crazy how stark those numbers are when looking at the how much these private schools uh, win. And then I think the next you know good argument that they often come up with is, well, we've seen this in other states where they've done this, and it doesn't change the numbers. You move these schools up, and they keep winning at the same rate, which I would kind of agree it's, you know, okay, we're not solving that problem. But I think it's not about solving the numbers necessarily. It's how can you have schools that win at this rate stay in these lower classes and have something like we see in 4A where, you know, the Miage basketball teams uh, can blow out the top two or three schools in the state semis and the finals by 40-plus points. There's a clear problem that you can see when looking at those box scores and even just getting those schools moved up a class. And if they keep winning at the same rate, I don't think that's a loss for a rule like this. I think you're getting closer to getting those schools to face the competition that matches uh, how good they can be, despite the fact that the enrollment numbers, uh, it just you put up against another school with similar enrollment they have more of the resources to field these better teams. And, you know, that's the thing I think down the road, we might end up hearing that from people. And, you know, I, I would just say to them, be careful. I, the, sol- the solution we're looking for is a more level playing field. It's not let's make sure that those uh, private schools aren't still winning 20% or whatever of the the state titles. It's simply making sure that they're not doing so while playing down uh you know in 4a and in and, and 3a and doing so if you're winning that level you might need to move up and then maybe keep winning there that's fine well point to that is that wichita collegiate
0: tennis has bounced back and forth between 4a and 3a uh over the last decade you know they, they spent almost half and half it's been kind of a almost a, a full split and they've won titles in 4a they've won titles in 3a them bumping up to 4a isn't changing a whole lot for their tennis program and even their basketball team and their football team if they move up to a 3a 4a level it, it's not really toughening the the path to a state championship uh, if you look at class 3a football or any football classification I think the toughest path to a, to a state championship is in 3A right now where Andale has just created a monster of a program and nobody can touch them. I mean, we've seen that in, in the, over the last three years. Uh, good teams have gone out and played them across the board, and Andale has just run roughshod over them. So, um, you know, for some of these schools, Bishop Miege won a lot of the state titles that it has in its, in its history at the Class 5A level. Them moving up to Class 5A isn't going to change a whole lot. It just puts them against more schools, that are more like them in terms of more schools from uh, metropolitan type areas that have greater access to athletes as a whole. So, um, you know, your private schools in Deloitte, your private schools in Hutchinson, in Hayes. I mean, they're going to draw in kids, but they don't have, you know, hundreds of thousands of kids to draw from or millions of, you know, that, that those type of numbers to draw from. Whereas you your metropolitan private schools have seemingly an infinite number of potential kids that they can draw from to get their athletes. And there's people wanting to go to those schools, wanting to send their kids to those schools, making that choice to send my kids to the private school. But at the same time, there's just a bigger pool to fish. And it's a lot easier to catch fish when there's thousands of fish out there rather than <laughs> there's, there's 20 in this in this big old pond. you got to find them. <laughs> Yeah, and that's the
1: thing with with the multiplier proposal is that if you are if you are looking at at bumping up a classification, that means there's there's some good times at your school going on right now. I mean, you're you're winning some championships, you're 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 putting some trophies in the trophy case. Now, is it are all those situations equitable? Like like the Sacred Heart uh, example that you mentioned, where it's all coming in golf. No, that's you know it it is a little different. But but uh, you know any of these schools, if this proposal does pass, um, I I guess by my end of the day feeling is is it's because you're having a certain level of success. And, and uh, you know, that's maybe, maybe that's the, the future well, price most, of success. Of these, I'm not sure.
2: I was just going to say most of these schools play up and play up a class and competition all season long. Anyways. I mean, they're used to, they're used to getting tough tests. I mean, this was just kind of right. even the playing field for state competitions a little bit. But and I think it's important to know that you can only go up one class, one classification. And like Brent mentioned, uh, you know, most of these schools, like Miege has been five A. You know, it, they're you most of the schools affected at, at some point probably played up a, up a higher uh, classification.
1: Yeah, that's the point, Ben. <laughs> well, I was just going to say that was a, that was one of the points that, that Ben Jones was making yesterday when he when he was discussing things was was that you know with Capon and Carroll they're playing in a predominantly six A predominantly 6A league with with uh, you know Miege and the EKL they're seeing those 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 four those five A and six A schools so it's um, you know that part of it for the for the private schools that move up majority of them have been competing for years and years against schools uh, you know. That that are above them in classification, and and uh, so I don't know that 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 is going to be the huge, like you said, the huge uh, change that um, where, where it will affect is this maybe let's say in the Wichita City League, where where you've got uh, you know Wichita North and and other 6A schools like West and and Southeast, they play Carroll and, and Capen during the regular season. They don't have to worry about seeing them in in the postseason right now, and that's maybe that's the their argument for you know for 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 not wanting this to, to go into place, So there's just, there's so many variables in this, in this whole thing. And, and uh, you know, I, I don't know what my end point is here, but, but that, that's, uh, it, it's something, these schools that are going to be affected are, are, you know, it's not like it'll be their first time playing a bigger school. I think it's get, also interesting.
3: Brent had mentioned the, the idea of uh, it being different for uh, private schools that are in the Metro versus those that are out in a more rural area. And that's, kind of the beauty of what they did with this specific multiplier is it doesn't take into effect these other uh, aspects. If you, you know, are not in the metro, you don't get hit with the geography part of the multiplier. Uh, the economic, if you reach what is a pretty low threshold of 20% uh, kids on free and reduced lunches, you don't get hit with that part. So then you just, and, and like it, it isn't, go into effect until you actually have that championship success. So a lot of these schools, uh, you know, aren't affected at all. We've, we kind of heard that where it's, well, what is going to happen to this private school that doesn't win a bunch of championships? Well, they don't get hit. They, they don't even get started on the multiplier. Uh, and like to, to have that built in where, you know, you still, you have to clear that first bar of championship to even be on there and the, then have a significant portion uh, of that multiplier be based on your geography and your economics, which are two of the huge uh, you know factors in these private schools ha- being able to punch up uh, comparatively to their uh, you know enrollment numbers. That's something that is already factored into so a lot of the arguments against the multiplier, I always wonder when I hear them. I'm like, well, yeah, we we accounted for that. that's that's right there if you look you know at the the specifics of it. And it, it, it's something that, you know, as Brent also mentioned earlier, it can be tweaked. Once you get it past the statue being changed, we can start to figure out what works the best and how to, to make this, uh, you know, just as fair as possible. And we can keep going. But right now, we've already hit a lot of the key things. You know, When you, you look at what's in the multiplier, it's there. It's accounted for.
0: Absolutely. And you know, people that argue maybe maybe public school schools should face the multiplier as well. Well, they're gonna they're probably gonna get dinged only on the championship part. Most of these most of these public schools that you have aren't gonna be in in large rural large uh, geographic areas where they're gonna get dinged with that. And most of them offer free and reduced uh, lunch to 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 their students. So they're, those other multipliers probably aren't going to come into play for the public schools anyway. It's probably only going to be the success multiplier that comes into play. And it's, it's, such a, it's such a small percentage of the whole deal to where they might get hit with the multiplier, but they aren't going anywhere. They're going to still play where they're at. If Centralia football gets hit with a, a multiplier, there's a smaller school playing football in, in 11-man football. They're not going anywhere. They're not going up the two-way just because they've won championships. You know, they're, they're going to stay right where, they're, uh, right where they're at. So, um, and then the other thing, you know, we crunch a lot of the championship data on this, but a lot of it also plays out to the fact that private schools take up are qualifying and taking up uh, state qualifying berths in a lot of these team sports at a pretty high rate as well, where if, if uh, a private school is winning a state title, there's also a good chance a private school's taken second, third, fourth, or has been one of those eight qualifiers for state, and so it, it goes beyond just the championship. It, it goes to um, a lot of times a private school is also, you know, one of those Final Four teams. Was, if you go back and crunch that data, especially in Class 5A, I mean you, you're going to see a lot of a lot of situations where you know maybe eight teams qualify for state, and half of them were private schools, or you know. um, you know, and, and just different things. And, and even on the uh, academic side, the activity side, uh, there's there's some programs that have really gone out and dominated. And, you know, somebody in the office saying, you know, Wichita Collegiate would probably win Scholar's Bowl no matter what classification they were in. They're just that dominant of a Scholar's Bowl program right now. So, you know, it, it, it's a, it's an across-the-board deal. And uh, it's just uh, it's going to be interesting to see where it, where it goes from. Um, so, with that, let's uh, turn our uh, turn our attention to the sports that we're actually covering on the field now. And uh, you know, tomorrow night, uh, week three of the football season is already here. So, uh, you know, already a third of the way through uh, through the through the season for most for most teams. You know, most teams only play nine games, and here we are uh, to week three. So, it will be one third of the way. And uh, you know, it's been a it's been an interesting year so far. Um, I'll go ahead and start with uh, with Scott uh what's the biggest surprise for you so far or what you've seen this season
1: well i it started with opening night and, and any time Derby loses a home football game the you know the uh, perennial power in six a that that catches your attention and and uh you know the way things have already shaken out they're already back to number two in our rankings after uh you know a week two victory and and uh, uh you know so the but their their next test on Friday will be at Bishop Carroll, so they're It'll be interesting to, to see where they've come from week one to, to week three, because Carroll will be a a, a stern test. Carroll had a tremendous win in week one as well over Wichita Northwest in which uh, they were down 31 to nine in the third quarter and, and then really turned things around and, and got things rolling. And, and uh, so I think, uh, I was at that game with Wichita Northwest. That was uh, so surprised The surprise came right out of the gate for me. I saw a, a Bishop Carroll team that looked like they were really in trouble against Wichita Northwest uh, that found a way to get some momentum in that ball game and, and ended up coming back from 31 to nine down and winning 53 to 41. Um, you know, as far as other schools in my area that, that are that have kind of, uh, you know, Andale's 140 straight. No surprise there. Uh, they're they're number one in 3A and they're on a collision course with collegiate, uh, um, here in week six for, for a one-versus-two showdown. But but schools like Goddard, who were 0-9 last year, uh, are off to a 2-0 and 0 start. You know, Goddard, uh, I think they scored less than 100 points last season in that 0-9 season, and they've already almost matched that through two weeks. So that's a surprise. Uh, Douglas is 2-0 and 0 under uh, new coach Blake Alexander, who's, whose dad, Walt, was the coach at the Topeka High, and, and Blake's got Douglas off to a good start. Uh, they've got a good week three test at Cheney. Uh, coming up, so those are two those are two schools that have probably if you if you look for a surprise out of the gate down here in south Central Kansas, uh you know I probably hand it to Goddard and Douglas right now.
2: Uh, yeah, out here in western Kansas uh, I don't know there was a huge surprise, but I was really intrigued to see what Norton would do uh, this year. Uh, last year, I think was the first losing season they've had in sixteen years under Lucas Melvin. They went four and five uh, you know, I knew they had. I knew they had some key pieces back, but to go out and beat Smith Center 30-20 last week was, I think, just a huge statement win for them. And they've got a huge, huge breakout star in Garrett Urban. Uh, you know, they have kind of a crowded backfield, so he didn't get a ton of carries last year, but he just looked tremendous against Smith Center, and he's already rushed for 400 yards and I think eight touchdowns on the season. So he's obviously got to keep an eye on. Uh, the other thing, Hayes, I was really, you know, Losing Jaron Canick and Garen Myers, I was really curious to see, you know, how they would bounce back. And they have a lot of talent all over that field. So to come out and make a big statement win against Junction City, I think that was a big confidence boost for them. And obviously they've got a, just a huge matchup this week against Manhattan, who I believe is ranked number one at 6A in our rankings. And Hayes is, Hayes is in the top five somewhere too, I think maybe fourth or fifth in 5A. So obviously that's that's one to watch for this week. Uh Malik Ball for Hayes running back. He has over 400 yards rushing in two games, and he's just a tremendous talent too. And then the other thing I was curious about the six man level. Obviously, it was the first year for six man, six player in uh, in Keisha, and uh, you know I was curious how the eight man schools that were going down to the six man level, how how they would kind of acclimate. And uh, Tescott got a big win over Northern Valley last week, so. They're a contender, and Brenton out in your area, Waverly, I think is, is, a, is a huge contender too. So it's been – I went to my first six-man game uh, in the season opener in Northern Valley, and I, was, I really enjoyed it. You know, it's a fun fun style of football. So I'm kind of curious to see how that landscape kind of – how that landscape transpires too.
3: yeah I think for me, uh, Blue Valley uh, coming in and, and getting those uh, you know two wins in the first two weeks, that was a team uh, that I, I thought would uh, have a little bit of a you know rebuilding period there is uh, they graduated Grayson Holbert uh, you know from the quarterback position. Uh, Michael Solomon as a thousand yard rusher. Uh, you know Holbert also a thousand yard rusher so those two. Uh, were such a huge factor in Blue Valley's offense last year. Uh, and then, uh, you know, Andre Davis was their uh, top receiver, but uh, Sterling Lockett graduated, so that was their second guy. Uh, I thought it, it, it'd take a, a a little while, and, uh, you know, uh, instead, uh, John Price at running back uh, has been on fire through those first two weeks, uh, 356 yards rushing and four rushing touchdowns for him. Uh, Trevor Brush has stepped in at quarterback, and you know, he's he's thrown four interceptions that he, he you know I, I bet he wants a, a few of those back, uh, but has been able to to sling the ball around enough to to Andre Davis, uh, who has just uh, you know been so good for them early in the year, uh, three touchdowns already and two hundred and twenty nine yards receiving. Uh, they're gonna have a tough test going up against Blue Valley Northwest this week, who uh, they had a, a lost to uh, Aquinas, so. Uh, Going if they can get that victory uh, over Blue Valley Northwest puts Blue Valley in a, a great position and one that I thought it would I thought it would take a little while they got that rolling uh, pretty fast and then uh, going down the the list Shawnee Mission North is one that two and o, uh kind of coming out of nowhere we'll see uh, you know if that's for real as they have to host uh, Olathe North tonight Thursday game. Uh, so those are definitely two, uh, big matchups this week, uh, that I'll keep my eyes on. And, and, uh, you know, I don't think it'll, uh, hurt blue Valley in my eyes that they aren't able to get a, a win over the Huskies. And then, uh, Shawnee mission North, I wouldn't hold it against them. if They lose the Olathe North because God, that team is fast and really good, but, uh, it'll be interesting to see how they match up with those two, uh, top six, a contenders.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Class Six A has just kind of been a <laughs> a uh, wild party so far. Uh, you know, you've got away for South goes out and knocks off Lawrence in week one, and then they lose last week to Shawnee Mission North. And uh, you know, every time you think you got okay, maybe this team's got it, nope, nope, nope. Here comes somebody else. You know, El the West looks great uh, in this opener. We I thought they were going to be really good. They get beat in week two by Lawrence. So uh, you know, it's uh, that uh, that Sunflower League looks pretty balanced uh across the board. Gardner Edgerton also a good start over there as well. Uh, and so, um, you know, in my area, obviously Highland Park's a big story, you know, coming into the season losing sixty five straight games and and uh and now they're now they've won two straights. So, um, you know, they're doing some good stuff and uh you know, I think they got a chance to keep it rolling. So we'll see uh see how Highland Park goes. Um, you know, Class One A has been a little wild as well. There's some good teams that have just played brutal schedules so far, and uh, and have lost. So, um, you know, One A, how One A shakes out. Opie being zero and two, they play Osage City on Friday night. So, um, you know, there's a good chance that they fall to zero and three. But um, I think if we talk to people one One A, they still think uh, Opie will be one of those teams to beat. So, um, you know, it's, it's it's been a fun season so far. Has been great performances uh you know you go to Jed benson down at camp galva uh steps in at quarterback when camp Galva's starting all state quarterback garrett malty gets hurt and uh all he does is you know account for 10 touchdowns in his first game with camp galva so um you know he's been a he's been a huge addition for that program and and Canton galva Axel uh somewhere down the road and eight man division two is going to be a an awfully fun game to go watch so uh, those are some of the highlights from our area, but you know it's been a it's been a good year across the state and been some nice nice stories. Of, uh, Bishop Ward's two and uh, zero for the first time in more than a decade, and uh, they beat Opie last week. And uh, they'll they'll find out a little bit with themselves taking on front next this week. So um, Just a lot of good stories out there so far in, in football. Um, turn our attention to some other sports, and uh, anybody wants time in with uh with the start of somebody else
1: yeah i'll jump in brent uh just down here in south central kansas i think uh with the start with cross country and i think one of the stories here right out of the gate is uh salina central's sensational sophomore uh, runner caitlin rube for the girls side uh you know caitlin because of a school district policy couldn't compete in cross country or had to choose between cross country and tennis last Last fall, and she chose tennis. She's played tennis since she was, a, uh, you know, about five years old, and and uh, she got seventh in, in at state in singles, and uh, you know, this year as a sophomore, she's able to do both, and and so she starts her cross country career this fall uh, on the heels of winning the the 5A 1600 and 3200 titles at the state track meet. So you, you knew there was going to be a pretty good addition to the to the uh, Mustangs program, and and all Caitlin did out of the gate. Uh, was was run seventeen minutes and forty five seconds in her first five k, and, and uh, set the set the state standard for for the early season and and uh, caught up with Caitlin last last week at, during during her second run at Heston and and uh, so make sure you check out that feature at the uh, com. Had a little talk with Caitlin and and uh, just an out, outstanding kid who's who's doing doing good things in two sports for Salina Central. Um, you know I think in other sports, uh, well also in cross country as far as the uh, Couple of boys' programs down here that are off to good starts uh, are the Trinities. Hutchinson Trinity uh, is number one in two A, and, and Wichita Trinity with Clay Shively is is number one in three A. So those are those are two teams to watch down here and on the on the cross country side. Uh, you know, with volleyball, I think there's you know no surprise that Andale after winning uh, you know finally breaking through, winning a state championship last year. they've got outstanding talent uh, back this year, led by senior Mackenzie Fairchild. Uh, they're 16-0, and 0, haven't dropped a set yet. They're number one in 4A, so uh, Andell and, and Hillsborough is number one in 2A, so two really good teams down here in the area uh, on the volleyball side. Uh, individually, uh, you know, I'm just uh, – I'll switch to girls' golf and, and uh, Cape and Mount Carmel sophomore Meg Tilma has, has been the early story down here. Uh, she shot a nine-under par round uh, in her first tournament, uh, nine-under par uh, – she did it uh, on a, uh, it was on a par 58 uh, Sierra Hills course down here in Wichita, but uh, you know, nine under is nine under. That's all I'm going to say about that. that. That was an outstanding round and she backed it up by going out, going out to the Dodge City Invitational and, and uh, shooting a 67 to win that tournament, uh, uh, beating Mays, another super sophomore, uh, Maze's uh, Kinsley Jones, who who was unbeaten last year on on the way to winning the 5A title. So uh, some really good young golfers down here uh, in the Wichita area and uh, you know, their seasons, you know, it, we're not, we're not far from the, from the girls golf postseason, So it'll be interesting to see how, how those players perform here in a few weeks. And that's, so that's what well, I've got from so South Starting west. with volleyball. Uh, Ricky, Goodland what you got out west? is a
2: real intriguing team to me. Goodland has just had an amazing turnaround in girls athletics the last couple of years. Obviously they were state champions in basketball last year. Uh, Volleyball, I think they've reached the tournament the last two years. Uh, Telexa Weider, Lindsey Cure, Olivia Lehman. I mean, really, really talented group there. So I'm going to see this them this weekend at the Russell tournament. So uh, that's one team. And then Smith Center, obviously defending two a champs. Obviously they had to replace uh two of their best hitters and Ashland Long and Talon Rentsler. But uh, Cameron Hutchinson's a tremendous setter, and they've got a good back row there. So. Uh, and then another defending champion in Spearville, uh, Class One AD. What there um, they returned Tawny Crominga and Cameron Offerly, so they're you know they look like they could be poised to repeat too. Uh, then if you move to cross country, obviously maybe one of the most decorated athletes we have right now, Chesney Chesney Peterson at Stanton County. Uh, she just seems like she just continues to raise the bar. Uh, uh, obviously swept. Uh, swept the distance and mid distance at track last year. And then, um, the boys side, Cameron Golub is the defending champion in, at Stanton County and Emma Weiner and a golden plan. She's the defending one, a champion. So a lot of good c- cross country out in Western Kansas, um, golf Hayes highs off to a pretty strong start. Um, I think they've won two tournaments now. They, uh, had kind of a surprise winner in JC Oakley, their first, their first tournament. And, uh, and Katie dinkle is a returning state placer so they've got a lot of talent there uh, Colby in golf uh, I think they've placed the runner-up the last two years and and uh, and Starbuck was a was the champion as a freshman so right. uh, and then moving on to soccer uh, Dodge City is probably the best team out in western Kansas they were the champions in, in 2020 and uh, in a quarterfinal team at, at last year, so they could make a lot of noise again, too.
3: I'll introduce myself. Uh, uh, For Eastern and Southeast uh, Kansas, uh, volleyball, looking at uh, St. James Academy, has just been rolling to start the year. And you you could probably expect it looking at the the players they return and knowing uh, that uh, Julia Headley, who uh, played her freshman year for Olathe Northwest and then uh, transferred and had to sit out for the volleyball season last year uh, is added to that squad and that is truly put the Thunder over the top. Uh, they, coming off a, a state runner-up finish in 5A, going up against the team that beat them, Lansing, uh, swept them in two sets. Just a, a dominant performance to open the season at the SJA Metro Slam and. From there, it, it didn't stop. They, they knocked down Washburn Rural. Uh, they end up facing uh, multiple state champions. You get uh, reigning state champs, Blue Valley North. Uh, you end up uh, getting uh, one from Nebraska, even. Um, they beat uh, Heritage Christian. Uh, so just to start that way, I, I couldn't imagine having that many talented teams to start your volleyball season, ten matches and they win all of them. Uh, so that's uh, just uh, going to be a really tough team for anybody to to knock off this season at any point. Uh, and then other teams that started with a, a similar uh, just streak to, to to start off the year, Riverton and Baldwin uh, both reached ten and zero. Um, Baldwin ended up uh, losing, and uh, it was Heritage Christian that. Uh, knocked him off, but uh, they've had an amazing start to the year. Chaney Barth uh, is just killing it for him right now. And uh, Riverton, it's the same story from last year with uh, J.C. Thompson uh, leading the way for them. And uh, they might even be better this season because they still got uh, Morgan Compton as the setter uh, putting uh, Thompson in place for those kills. Uh, but also E.J. Wells has stepped up for him this year, increased her kill percentage from uh, 35.3% last year to 43.5% this year, uh, also is leading the team in aces. Uh, So they were a team that uh, really hoped to make a a deep run at state and then uh, got swept uh, in pool play. But uh, this year might be their year if they can uh, keep playing at the level they have Uh, early on, and then looking for uh, over to cross-country, that's been... uh, I think it's all about the Olathe uh, Twilight Classic that I went to, which uh, you might put an asterisk next to some of the times. Those are not going to likely hold up uh, for uh, most cross-country events. They're out there running at the Olathe District Activities Complex. Uh, Part of the course is what looks like a putting green little turf that they roll out over uh, cement to let them do this kind of uh, crisscross uh, around that complex. And then they finish on the track. So the, the times are really high uh, so high that four uh, boys finishers uh, had top 12 times in the nation uh, after that race completed, uh, uh, they were in the, the fourth one was in the top ten for a minute, but I think he got pushed down uh, a little bit in a couple uh, meets since then. But looking at, at those numbers, those were uh, you know pretty crazy. Uh, right now, Wyatt Houghton of Shawnee Mission East uh, got the top time, fourteen forty six point uh, eight zero. Uh, that was pretty amazing. And then I was a little surprised to see on the the girls side. Uh, Shawnee Mission South's Hannah Gibson ended up uh, beating out uh, Anjali Hawker Singh, although uh, Anjali has a little bit of an injury right now. So even talking with Hannah Gibson afterwards, she was like, yeah, I beat her, but did I? So uh, she is excited to see as the season goes along if maybe as Anjali gets healthy, if she can get another win over a a healthy Anjali. That's kind of uh, Gibson's hopes right now. So uh, the Olathe Twilight, uh, very fun event. Uh, should be fun to see as they get on some uh, real cross-country courses over the next few weeks, see where those uh, times really stack up.
0: Uh, and Here in uh, kind of central Kansas, uh, as far as cross-country, one of the biggest surprises is seamen uh, has been led by a freshman this year Ryan Miller is her name, and she just won the Joe Strong invitation for last week. She's been, kind of been out leading a team that was already uh, a really good team coming back from last year uh, with uh, Bethany Drews, who was last year's 5A uh, champion in the 800, and then Hannah Becker, a basketball star, Stella Appleham, uh, girls like that. So um, for Ryan Miller to step in as a freshman and kind of jump up and lead the team, uh, Siemens can be one of those teams that really goes out and challenges for a for a state this year. Uh I think they're they're really strong, got got a lot of depth and so they're uh, they're a team that's gonna be in the hunt. And then on the boys side in Topeka, uh, uh Tepique West Lenny from the road is back. He missed all the last season with a broken ankle suffered during uh during uh, his off season uh club soccer and missed last year and, and was a high placer as a sophomore. So he's back as a senior. Still plays soccer too, so he does cross country and soccer. But he's gone out and had a tremendous start to the season. So uh, it's uh, good to see him get back and running. Um, you know, we had the big Wamigo Invitational uh, last weekend, and uh, the weather conditions were awful for it. A lot of rain that hit. I was spending the football game in Manhattan that day uh, for Kansas State. But uh, Clearwater's Haley Trotter went out and won the uh, in the 4A race and the 2-1, in the 3A and under race. Uh, it was Wilbuncey Peyton Worth, who is a tremendous runner. She uh, just kind of gets overshadowed by uh, by uh, County's Chesney Peterson right now. But uh, Peyton Worth was great last year as a freshman. Broke up pretty much every distance record that Wilbuncey had a year ago, and she's already off to a big start. Uh, she won the 3A race. Then on the boys' side, uh, Eli Gilmore of Tonganoxie, who could be the 4A boys. And in the boys' uh, 4A race over at Tonganoxie, uh, over at Wamigo, it was Tonganoxie's Eli Gilmore, who very well could be the 4A favorite this year after a lot of last year's uh, top finishers at state graduated champions Sawyer Smith of Augusta, Tanner Newker, Tanner Lindahl of Dealer. They're all gone now, and Eli Gilmore was kind of the top returner. He went out and showed that he's, uh, he's going to be right there again, uh, winning the 4A race at Juan uh, Migo, which is where the 4A state championship will be, too. Uh, be Southeast Delaney to Damian Jackson by about 13 seconds for the title. So he's going to be uh, somebody to contend with in the, uh, in the 4A landscape. And then in the 3 to one a boys race, uh, you know, is another good race. And it was uh, Silas Miller of Marysville, who is uh, going to be an individual contender for the 3A title uh, later this fall, too uh he went out and, and won by about seventeen seconds over a couple of El Saline kids. So uh Wamigo invitations is always a good always a good test for these uh for these kids. Um it's always a big meet and you always see some of the top runners in the state and the smaller schools uh show up at best meet. So uh good races and some bad conditions that day. Uh and we'll see what happens when we get to uh state. Although I've been over to state sometimes been some miserable conditions as well. So um as far as uh, soccer, Washburn Rural just keeps on rolling. You know, they lose last year's uh, forward of the forward or midfielder of the year uh, in Porter Shaversman, but Easton Bradstreet stepped up and just become a goal scoring machine this year. Um, already had several multiple goal games, a couple four goal games, so he's uh, he's keeping Rural clicking right along. Uh, you know, they they were uh, runner up last year, lost one, uh, it was overtime goal in the state championship game, and uh, they're looking to get back, to kind of finish the deal this year. Uh, Right now, Ross from rural really playing uh, some good soccer from our area. Uh, Golf-wise, Wamigo was girls' state champion last year, and and you wondered how they are going to come back this year. Well, they're doing great. Uh, They've already set a school record for scoring at a tournament this year, and they've been led um, a lot by a freshman this year. So they've got a freshman girl, Addison Douglas, to come in and really um, given them just another strong person at the top of their lineup to go with uh, Ashton. Pearson and Kirby McKee, two three three-time state places for him. So Wamigo doesn't look like they're gonna be uh be uh relinquishing their crown. Uh, you know, them and Winfield have had some great battles last year. Uh there was one stroke that separated for the state title last year and and if you just go by the top four scores, Winfield won, but you go by the scores of each day of the state. And while Amigo had girls, one girl that that did well the one day, one girl that did well the second day and and they were able to edge Winfield out. So, um, you know, their golf team's also a great start. Emporia is off to a great start this year. Uh, they've got uh, three sisters, two twins, Olivia and Avery Eckert, and their youngest sister is a freshman this year, Elise, has joined in. And they've, uh, they've gone out and in two meets, have set school team scoring records in two meets so far this year. So they're going to be a team that's going to be uh, be worth keeping an eye on. Do they have enough to challenge the Capons of the world? I don't know that they have that. Nobody has a Meg Dilma. So, um, you know, it's it, but I think they have a chance to go out and do some really good things as the season goes along. So Emporia off to a really good side. And also in 5A, Seaman's lowest beater has gone out and won two tournaments and shot a 69 at her last tournament. So she's capable of going low and, and being one of those people that, uh, she goes to put together two days at state, uh, she's going to make Meg Filma and Kinsley Jones and those people uh, really earn their state title. So um, Tennis is the usual suspects. You know, Manhattan Jillian Harkin, state champion last year, off to a great start again this year. Um, and, and then uh, Hayden fainley Zuluetta made a big uh, early statement this year, winning the Wichita Collegiate Tournament of Champions. And she beat uh, Wichita Trinity's Isabella Sebbett in, in the semifinals. And then the collegiates and Manta Bonnie um, in the championship. Both those girls have won state championships uh, in the past two years. Uh, and Ainsley was a 4A champion last year, and Mantabani a 3A champion. So that was a big start for her this year, uh, coming back off the first state title last year. Before. So those are some of the uh, some of the top highlights from uh, the Central Kansas area. And uh, you know we got tennis and golf. Hey, we're we're closing in. Uh, they don't have a whole lot of uh, a whole lot of season left when we do our next podcast, uh, I'm sure we'll be starting to really dive in to uh, take a look at, uh, at their, what their post are going to look like. So um, that'll be on our, our next uh, podcast. That should do it for this inaugural episode of the Casey covered podcast. Uh, try to come at you uh, every two weeks and, uh, and provide you with our insight across the state. Uh, thanks to Scott, Ricky and Matt for, uh, coming on today and, and, uh, offering insight from their areas and, uh, and, uh, feel free to, uh, keep us posted as well. If, if you have items that are worth noting, uh, contact us, uh, Matt covers Kansas city, Southeast Kansas area, Ricky's Western Kansas, South central Kansas. Um, you can find all of our work at kashacovers.com, um, where we highlight athletes and, and students. Um, Our True Blue Student of the Week is a great feature. Go in and check those out. Uh, It's kids that uh, maybe aren't your star athletes or always grab the headlines, but are doing great things at their schools and and, uh, that really don't always get noticed. And we're taking notice and and shining a spotlight on them uh, them as well for the things that they're contributing to their high school um, and their respective communities. So uh, thanks for tuning in, and uh, we look forward to seeing you all in a couple weeks.